0: Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Intervention, Crystal Spring, Johnsonville Foods, Hypoor Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and Pigequipment.com, brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's
1: episode. Today, we're excited to talk about animal welfare, and we're joined by Associate Professor David Beggs from the University of Melbourne. How are you doing today, Dave? Matthew,
2: I'm Will. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. We talked a little before, but your, your speech, your talk at the APM Conference definitely hit my top five for the year. I'm really excited to share your perspective of animal welfare with our audience to start things off, could you please give a brief introduction of your background and how you got involved in animal agriculture and more, certainly, how did you get involved in studying animal welfare?
2: Well, Matthew, I grew up in, on a uh, sheep and beef farm predominantly in Western Victoria in Australia and uh, became a veterinarian who worked for about 20 years in mixed animal practice out in country Victoria. And then uh, 10 or 12 years ago, I had a midlife crisis and had a bit of a changing career where I took up an academic position at the University of Melbourne uh, where I now teach cattle medicine. And in that process, I ended up doing a PhD in the animal welfare of cattle as uh, scale of production increases. And it wasn't necessarily an area that I had been uh, interested in forever, but the more I got into it, the more I thought, gee, this animal welfare stuff's interesting.
1: Yeah, and you did a TED Talk on it too once, didn't you?
2: Yes, that was uh, a little while ago. I did a TED Talk on um, the topic, Do Cows Think Grass Tastes Good? <laughs> Which is uh, slightly esoteric title, but it was more about the deeper question of, well, if cows like grass, what else do they like and what don't they like and how can we give them a good life?
1: Yeah, it looked like on YouTube you had a pretty good reaction to that and uh, I know that's that's floated around a bit, but I'd love to start things off with that topic, not on cows specifically, but... What is animal welfare? How do you define well, it?
2: There's a whole heap of different definitions of animal welfare out there. And um, they all come back to one, the, the one main concept that animal welfare is all about how an animal is coping with the conditions that it lives in. This is really important that animal welfare is about how animals feel. And it's pretty self-evident, I guess, isn't it? The reason we, worry about animal welfare in the first place is because we want animals to be happy. And so animal welfare is a science and people like me try to get inside the heads of animals and work out what they like and what they don't like and, and how they're experiencing the world. This is different from animal ethics, which is how humans feel about what we do to and with animals, because humans have pretty strong opinions about what we do in, to and with animals. And, um, They will be beliefs that are based on their life experiences and their cultural norms. And so um, it's nice, I think, to to separate those out because uh, animal welfare, all about how animals feel, and animal ethics, all about how us humans feel about what we're doing. I guess you can look at the differences between those two things. For example, um, the animal welfare scientist doesn't really take much uh, into account about why an animal is where it is. Mm -hmm. So the classic example is that the dog being bred for food in Vietnam has exactly the same animal welfare requirements as a lap dog and someone's pet. That They both need um, a a humane life, uh, sorry, a good life and a humane death. And whether or not we should be breeding dogs for food is an ethical issue. And so some people believe that we shouldn't eat pigs. Um, Some people believe we shouldn't eat whales. Uh, Some people believe we shouldn't eat the products from any living being. And they're all okay, they're they're beliefs that people have, but they don't actually have that much to do with the experience of the animals involved. So animal welfare and animal ethics are both very important. Uh, The area that I focus on in my research most is the animal welfare. And the area that I'm most interested in is animal ethics.
1: Now, animal ethics in itself is very interesting. I had the opportunity of taking a master's class focused on just ethics in general. And I love that because there are just so many different perspectives out there. And when you start to understand and diagnose all of them, you really can better understand where people are coming from. But it feels like a lot of times when we're talking about welfare. We're really trying to convince the other person that they should change their perspective or on their animal ethics as opposed to communicating the welfare side. It seems like those conversations always jump into the ethics and not necessarily the welfare.
2: Yeah, welfare is one of those interesting things where there's a bystander effect. that um, There can be two people involved in a transaction where food is produced and eaten, and people that have absolutely nothing to do with that still have very, very strong opinions. And, um, and you're right, there is very much a uh, sense that people want to convince people to their way of thinking. That's a bit funny because there are things in life where we do that. Um, yeah. Lots of religions want you to do what they want. Um, and it never works, right? It never works no, no. convincing somebody on ethics ever. Yeah, vegans want meat eaters to become vegans. Meat eaters want vegans to eat meat. And yet... No one really tries to convince you to barrack for a different football team, and no one really says that your choice of favourite colour is the wrong one. Um, I think life would be much better if we were a bit more tolerant towards other people, and we didn't try so much to convert everybody to our own way of thinking, particularly where things uh, are just beliefs. You know, albeit that they're very strongly held, uh, they are just uh, our beliefs, and the extent to which our beliefs should prevent other people from following their beliefs is one of the age old tensions of the world.
1: Absolutely. Can you dig into a bit, the five freedoms and five domains that kind of fall in this, this area?
2: That's right. So we said what animal welfare is. It's all about how an animal is coping with the conditions in which it lives. You know, how the animal feels. And uh, A number of years ago there were were five freedoms and there were things like freedom from hunger and freedom from thirst and freedom from discomfort, those sorts of things, which uh, were a pretty good way of documenting animal welfare, but they did a bit to the word freedom what Facebook has done to the word friend in that (laughs) freedom from hunger doesn't really make any sense when hunger is in fact the stimulus to eat. So you're never going to have freedom from it, and so people modified it around to say, well, freedom from prolonged hunger or um, uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, a number of years ago, um, the five five domains model was suggested, and that's where there's the domains of nutrition, environment, health and behaviour, and those four things are the areas which can make animals happy or unhappy. But those all project onto the fifth domain, which is mental state. And animal welfare scientists look and they say that animals have experiences, and those experiences are either positive or negative, and we call that the affective state, as to whether it's a positive affective state or a negative one. So your happiness is a positive one, pain is a negative one. And then you can talk about how the valence of it, how strongly that sensation is or that experience is. And to take the hunger example for it, Um, as a good example, uh, hunger doesn't matter except to the extent that it affects the mental state of an animal and starts to give it negative experiences. So an animal may well be hungry and if it's able, if it's just waiting and it knows that a a big meal will come when the food is delivered at 5 o'clock, that food will be very satisfying and it actually knows that that food will come, so the hunger is very, very manageable. Or an animal that's very, very hot, If it's able to go and find some shade, the animal welfare issue isn't the fact that it's hot. The animal welfare issue is that it's able to cope with that by going and finding some shade and getting some relief from its heat, even if that's not instantaneously. One of the things that we need to remember is that uh, life isn't perfect. And in my life, I've had some terrible moments, um, terrible anguish and sadness and really some quite nasty things that have happened, and also some lovely things that have happened, and I've had a lot of happiness and contentment. And what animal welfare scientists do is to add up the sum of life experience, life's experiences and see where that fits and to whether an animal's had a good life or not. And there's a spectrum. So at one end there's a good life, a terrific life, a good life. Then yeah. probably the next one down is a life that's worth living, and then there's a point of balance or a life that's not worth living, Or indeed, you may end up with a life that's worth avoiding. And when we place our animals into that spectrum, we can say whether or not uh, the animals had a life which is acceptable in terms of animal welfare. In every life, there will be some moments of terrible pain and suffering. That's certainly true of humans, uh, and it's, it's certainly true of animals. And so we're not after a life with no pain. We're after a life, which is well worth living and uh, preferably a good life.
1: Yeah. I love that because I was talking with somebody about, about this a bit. I was like, you know, when it comes to a good life or a life worth living and the pains we'll put ourselves through, I mean, we'll work long hours, long hours to be able to afford the vacation or afford the car, the house, whatever it is, the, 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 Climb the ladder, whatever somebody's goal is, we'll put ourselves into really difficult positions because we know it's worth it. We know that the challenges are worth the reward. And so that's it's, right, Matthew. It's you, not, you hit the yeah. nail
2: on the head there because humans often make sacrifices to achieve outcomes which make them feel good. Yeah. And yeah, people in sports or business or anywhere like that, they, they work long hours, they, they put themselves through all sorts of things to achieve outcomes which are amazing. And in the human field of endeavour, we often associate the magnitude of the sacrifice with the reward, that the bigger sacrifice you make, the the more respect you get. Now, that's the opposite of what we want in the animal welfare space. We want to minimise the sacrifices that animals have to make in order to do the things that they wish to enjoy and make sure, if you like, that those sacrifices are worth it. And if you end up in a situation where the sacrifices are worth it, for the rest of life's experiences, then to some extent, that fits the definition of a good life. Because there's a fairly simple recipe for having a good life. Um, you, in one sense, you could say there are, there are four things you need to do you need to unvo- avoid unnecessary suffering, because some suffering is necessary. Yep. You need to maximise pleasure and contentment. You need to provide good behaviour, nutrition, environment, and health. That's those four domains. And you need to provide a humane death. And if you do those things, um, that's a good life. And we can make that slightly more scientific, if you like. Um, the animal welfare scientist would say we need to minimise negative effective states, maximise positive effective states, uh, provide good behaviour, nutrition, environment and health and a humane death. And uh, there you are, a uh, recipe for a good life. You first heard it here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the humane death is a very fascinating one in itself because, I mean, there's no wild animal that's going to be able to to go through that end of life scenario as peacefully, I'd say, almost as what it happens in animal agriculture. Like either you're dying of disease, you're getting attacked by an animal, or you you, you yeah, die. That's right.
2: all, it just yeah it's it's that a horrible place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's unclear to me that many animals in nature have a good life. most of them struggle uh, through their life living day-to-day by feed and um, most of them die a death which is from disease, injury, starvation, predation or some sort of horrible combination of all of those. um, No meals are predictable, right? No meals are guaranteed. No, if they were in our care, uh, we would not call it humane. And so if we look at these sacrifices that animals that are in our custody – um, do make. The main one that they sacrifice is agency, which is the ability to uh, have choice over your own life and what you do. Now, to some extent, um, our farm animals still do get a bit of agency in that they're able to wander around, have social interactions with the animals that they choose to, sit and stand when they want to, um, for the most part, eat or drink when they want to. Um, the, the, there's lots of agency stuff that we can give them and there's some that we can't. They don't get true agency, like the ability to wander wherever they want or choose who they're going to have children with. Uh, but, gee, the, uh, we've bred them to want the things that we give them. Mm-hmm. And so most of them, I think, have a pretty good life or a, certainly it's possible to give farm animals a very good life and a humane death. When you say think- and-
1: yeah, just real quick, I mean, you say we, we bred them to enjoy the things that, that we provide. I mean, that's the nature component, but we also nurture them in a way where they can enjoy the things that are provided, right? Is nature and nurture both something that we can do to provide a good life?
2: Oh, absolutely. The nurture is very, very important. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the extra stimulation that we give, I, I love it when I see farmers enjoying the interactions with their animals. They're wandering through and patting the pigs as they walk through and the pigs are racing around and licking at them and, you know, they actually look happy sometimes, or quite a lot. Um, and I love to see calves in a paddock playing with each other uh, and, you know, playing games. And I think there are certainly the possibility of um, giving animals a good life and, and good experiences. I also think that we can always improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're learning how to do that all the time. So we give them a good life and a humane death, and that's the, the big problem with farming, isn't it, that people struggle to reconcile the idea that uh, breeding an animal in order to kill it and eat it is a good thing. And again, the animal welfare scientist doesn't really worry about the timing of death. Um, mm-hmm. From an animal welfare point of view, a humane death at any time is a good thing. Whether or not the death should happen is an ethical thing and i think you know, humans are scared of death there's been a theme of poets through the ages that the reason that we worry about being good to others and we worry about animal welfare and all these sort of things and we don't kill each other is because we're scared of our own death and you know, death is killing an animal so sort of close and real that you know, people try to avoid it because it's very confronting And most people now are not accustomed to being around animals as they die. Now, that's Mm -hmm. different from 100 years ago. And so they um, have this objection to us killing things. Now, the ethics of this sort of stuff isn't always clear, I reckon, because if you're going for food crops or plant-based fibre, there's still plenty of animal suffering that goes on there. When you clear land and you have no biodiversity because you've got crops and there's flowers for one month and none for 11 and all the bees die and there's no water around for nature to coexist, and there's there's problems there too. Um, I don't know the answers to how to produce food ethically because I'm an animal welfare scientist, but uh, (laughs) I I do know that um, it's not as simple as saying that killing animals is a bad thing, particularly if you do so humanely after they've had a good life.
1: Fair. So how do we how do we talk about that then? How do we talk about the fact that we are killing animals and eating them? How do we communicate the general public, the consumer, that we are providing a good life and a humane death?
2: It's difficult, isn't it? Very. I I think that the timing of death is an interesting thing to bring up, that um, if the abattoir rings up and says, I'm sorry, we can't take your stock this week. It'll have to be next week there's no great celebration about the extra seven days of life that those animals have had. (laughs) When when you look at it from that point of view, um, and I think this is because I, I would feel differently if I thought animals had an expectation of the future. But I don't think that cows or pigs spend their day looking forward to the time when their daughter or their granddaughter joins the herd. and I don't think they spend their days worrying about what the future holds for her. Livestock um, remember the past and they live in the present and they try to put themselves into situations where they've had positive, effective states in the past, Mm -hmm. things which they've enjoyed, and they try to avoid situations where uh, things have had negative experiences in the past. But they live in the present very much and when they're doing that, if their life should suddenly end, the experience for them is no different than uh, any human having an anaesthetic, or any dog and cat that I've spayed over the years. That uh, I've always thought that the experience of a dog that you anesthetize in order to desex it is no different from the experience of a dog that you euthanize.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and so you go into surgery and you, and you go under, like you're, you're there, you're there, and all of a sudden yeah. you're gone, and you wake up, not- if you would have, died, and- you would have had no
2: idea. Uh, that's right yeah so it makes people feel bad and I think we need to be really making sure that people understand that if they feel bad it's because they feel bad and that's okay you're entitled to those beliefs the other thing that I think we don't do is argue with people Um, Mm -hmm. there is no point in arguing with someone that has a strongly held belief no matter what that belief is because uh, when you argue with someone that holds a, a religious belief or a, a belief like that, what tends to happen is it just strengthens their belief that way. And so part of what we need to do is live and live. If you don't want to eat my product you don't want to do that, that's okay. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Um, yeah. Freedom of so I, I think we spend a bit much time trying to ha- take on fights that it's, it's unnecessary to have. Life would be much better if we tried to keep our animals happy and um, be tolerant of other people and expect the same in return, that they'd be tolerant uh, of people with beliefs that are different from them.
1: And, and that, would, that would go so far. I mean, it'd be, it'd be so nice if you didn't have to worry about some of that or you didn't waste all the emotional energy on that. And, and you, you went back to talking about how animals live in the present and they remember the past. It is so hard for us as people to imagine a life where you really aren't thinking about the future. I feel like we we as people live so much into the future and we worry about the present and uh it it's it's just so different. It actually sounds so peaceful.
2: But well, yes, although um there's a large parts of our society that talk about mindfulness and enjoying the journey rather than the destination and all that sort of thing where yep. Yep. I think uh large proportions of our society have actually worked out that they're happier when they do that, that you know, enjoy the moment yes. um, and do it a bit more often.
1: Absolutely. So to kind of wrap up here, what can we do to get better? You talked about continuous improvement. We, we talked a little bit about how we talk about it, but around animal welfare as a whole, what can we be proud of and how do we keep getting better?
2: I think that's the the thing to, that's most important as it will differ for everybody. Mm-hmm. But uh, my suggestion is that on your own farms, you work out what you are proud of. You know, is it the facilities that you've got that are magnificent? Is it the fact that the the pigs are, are happy and when you go in there, they're pleased to see you and that you can play with them? Is it that you give them extra stimulation to do things? Is it that you have very low disease and levels and very high health? Is it that you uh, run a a type of operation where they have a bit more ability to go around and play with each other. Work out what those things are that you think give the animals an experience of having a good life and celebrate Mm -hmm. them and recognise that there will be people that have ethical concerns um, about the things that we do because of their own uh, beliefs and that's okay. We don't have to convert them from those things. We just have to let them know that we are doing the best. You know, that's okay. You, can, you don't have to eat our product, but look at us. We are doing the very best we can to give the animals in our custody a life that is a good life and well worth living.
1: So I'll throw a question out here as we real wrap up that uh, might catch you a off guard, but what's, a, what's something about you that most of your colleagues do not know?
2: Oh, um, I hope there's rather a lot yeah. Uh, that, 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 that they don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, perhaps uh, that um, I, I used to play the tuba. Oh, you used to play tuba? And I think that playing the tuba is one of those things where um, you're the underneath of the music and you think about how the rest of the music on top of you works. And that's what we need to do. We need to get sort of underneath the uh areas that we're in and look up and see how does this whole system work and you know, how can we work with that and, and make it better from bottoms up
1: make it beautiful and well worth hearing what is a golden nugget that you might have a bit of work uh, a bit of wisdom from from your career your life
2: well i think it's all about um being tolerant of other people um okay you know, don't don't argue with people that it's not useful to argue with <laughs>
1: fair well i really appreciate you joining the popular pig podcast i i really enjoyed your talk then i really enjoyed meeting and talking with you now and uh, we wish you the very best thank you
0: thank you for joining us on this episode of popular pig